G'day and welcome to Green and Gold Rugby Podcast 209 with your host here, Matt Rowley. Uh, we're sponsored, very gratefully sponsored, um, tonight. We've got two sponsors. Well, I, I'm actually, one sponsor and one friend of the podcast, I'm going to say, because they're on a bit of a trial basis at the moment. Um, the sponsor is, uh, of course, Sporpal. Sporpal is that, uh, I kind of think of it as sort of like an online marketplace for rugby talent really um whether you are um, a, a pro whether you're a, you've just finished playing uh rugby at school and you're trying to figure out how you're going to get yourself around europe or africa or something like that um or whether you're a club and you're looking for that next player um you've got uh you know shoot clubs brisbane clubs using them um it's the place where you can go and you can get that match. So go check it out, sporple.com. I'm very grateful to be sponsored by those guys. And um, I talked about the uh, friend of the podcast, Hugh. You're probably not feeling the love yet, but you will be feeling the love. Um, <laughs> and that is in Endeavour Beer. Um, so I've got one right here. I'm going to take a little uh, swig. Mm. Yeah, craft beer. Um, I'm feeling it. Uh, you'll be feeling it as well. But otherwise, how are you feeling, mate, tonight? tonight? I'm good, I'm good, and, and I've just got our, our special offer for Sporpal for the week, and um, that's if you're a Parramatta Eels player, um, <laughs> if you enter the code GAGR, you get 10% off, or 10% addition onto your first contract Check so, that out. Uh, with, a, with, a, with a Super Rugby team, so uh, there's, there's, there's that offer out there for our, and I know a lot of, a lot of Parramatta fans and Parramatta people listen to us, so... Um, <laughs> You know, we, we love, love the leagues in our game, so yeah, come over, boys. I've heard that said many a time that we're the favourite podcast of uh, leagueies uh, for for rugby union. Um, so you know, good to have all you guys back. Also joining us tonight um, because I think Reds basically just couldn't hack it anymore uh, with the Reds getting uh, a bit of a toweling on the weekend from the Crusaders. Is Braveheart Will McDougall, mate? Good to have you back. Yeah, thank you. It's been a while. Yeah. Well, I tell you, what, one of the reasons why it's good to have you on, mate, is you kind of know what you're talking about. Um, and you tend, <laughs> and you tend to have done a little bit of research, which yeah, is a little bit different from the rest of us. So it's always great to have you on. Jeez, thank Paul. you. I got through a few games on the weekend, so uh, hopefully hopefully I know a bit of stuff. <laughs> it's got to be a step up from Timsy last week. I mean, we, we all love him, but uh, he could have watched a highlights package or something. <laughs> Too busy, mate. Too busy. He's got stuff to do. He's doing triathlons. We uh, can slag him. He doesn't listen to this podcast, does he? <laughs> well, it's rugby related. Why would he? <laughs> um, all right. So, look, let's get stuck in. Uh, we've got something. So, look, we've got our burning questions again this week. So, let me let me give you what those are so you can kind of decide what you're going to stay on board for or not. First of all, the first, the forced victory in Japan, something or nothing. Secondly, is this season of Super Rugby getting boring? Third, was the Quaid Cooper 7s experiment doomed from the start? Fourth, and actually, that's where we've got our interview. I should have said we've got people tuning out. St- don't 
let, don't go. Stay with us. We've got an interview coming up with Andy Friend. He's going to give you, oh, you know, from go to woe, how Sevens works, who all the different players are, what positions they play, what special skills they bring. Then he's going to get into the top four teams, how they play, where their strengths and weaknesses are, and tell us a bit more about uh, the Aussie Sevens team, which is awesome. Um, and then we're going to get into which departed player have we missed the most so far this year. Um, all three of us have different players, so I'm going to be fascinated to hear why the other two guys are wrong. And then finally, uh, the Wallaby number eight discussion. So we've been getting through. This week, we actually come armed with a stats bonanza, so we actually know what we're going to be talking about. So without further ado, the forced victory in Japan, something or nothing. I'm going to confess to a bit of a Timsy on this one. I've only watched the second half. Um, but that was enough. I, th- I thought that was really the second half was bloody entertaining. Was the rest of it like that, um, Hugh? Did you watch it from go to way? Yeah, it was. I, I I had one eye on this game and watched. I've, I've I've seen highlights and a few other things subsequently, and it was. I mean, the force and and I think the Sunwolves can bring out a certain style in people. You don't see too many grafting low scoring games with the Sunwolves. They um they 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 attack hard and they don't defend particularly hard. So. You, um, you you get a lot of points scored and 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 the force I thought um, did really well. I'm, so I'm going to answer the question. I'm going to say it's something because because I think the force showed enough signs um, to show that they might be able to snag a few wins coming home and hopefully that gets their confidence up. You, you just feel like you know you know when you were playing rugby, Matt, um, and you know it was obviously twenty or thirty years ago for you, when it was but black and white, it, yeah, that's right. Um, and um, you know, you, you, if you're having a bit of a lean season, but then you have a have you play the cellar dwellers or, or the um, you know a, a low ranking side, and you chalk up a good win and score some nice tries, and it just it just gives you that burst of confidence um, and um, to really go and get builds you up next week. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's <laughs> it. But the other thing about that force victory is, I thought it really you know, and and look, we've got a it's an asterisk because it's the Sunwolves, but um, I thought. Um, Adam Coleman played really well, and so did Dane Hale at Petty. So mm. the Wallaby credentials um, received a good boost there. And, um, yeah, it's good to, good to see them scoring some tries, I think, and, and a bit of a shame it couldn't happen in front of their home fans. Yeah, I mean, indeed, um, you, you talked about those two players, and, I mean, you know, they're two positions that obviously are up and, uh, you know, got question marks over them for the for the Wallabies. So um, they're timing it pretty well. Um, uh, Will, I'm, I know that you've been watching many minutes of rugby. How did you take this one? I should say before we move on, the final score was uh, 22 to 40 uh, to the force. I'm just trying to see if I can get a what the halftime score here was. Um, I'll come back to you with that one. Um, Will, what did you make of it? I thought it was a really entertaining game, and, and I agree with Hugh that I think it was something for the force. Uh, their execution clicked like it probably hasn't all season. Um, and, uh, yeah, they, they sort of threw the ball around. They, they executed well. Their set, set piece was good and um, scored some really good tries. Their defence was probably a little leaky, particularly sort of late in the game. Um, but really good signs for the force and uh, some good, really good standout performances. Both Haylett Petties were good. Dane particularly, I think, is really sort of... Um, Stamping his credentials for a Wallaby uh, berth in the June series. Um, good to see their winger Marcel Marcel Braki uh, scored th- a hat trick after uh, I think he played 25 Super Rugby games and hadn't scored a try. So uh, it was a good way to get on the scoreboard with um, 
getting a getting a hat trick all in the first half. Um, but yeah, good good stuff for the Force. Um, easily their best game of the season, and hopefully they can carry that on. I guess the bad thing for them is that they've uh, got to buy this weekend, so they're going to have to wait to uh, get back out on the field to uh, see whether it does lead to something. But um, look, they they go back to uh, Perth after that to host the Blues, and look, you've got to think they're a chance to to win that game and hopefully a couple more and to sort of round out the season. So, was there anything? Um, so it was thirty-three-five just after the half second, um, just after half time. So they'd really racked it up in the in the, in the first half, um, and they ended up sort of six tries to four, which is that's pretty much like a season's worth of tries for the force. Um, Hugh, was there anything desperately that you thought they were doing different? Oh no, I, I think their their attack was a bit more fluid. I, I think the biggest thing for them was just getting their forward ball runners getting a, getting a bit of a rumble on, mm. and all of a sudden with a bit of quick ball and a bit of go forward ball, that back line had a bit more space to operate and. Yeah, they're playing with Ian Pryor at 10, who, again, is at best a reserve halfback. And he, you know, him and Carl Godwin aren't, aren't particularly robust as a 10-12, but they, they did the job pretty well and got the ball to, to Braki and Haylett Petty and uh, Luke Morahan uh, in a bit of space. And it was probably the first time those guys had any space to operate with all year. Mm-hmm. And that just came from guys like Cottrell and McCalman, Adam Coleman, um, Ross Haylett Petty. Just doing doing the hard yards and hitting it up well. So I think that that was it. It's just the basics, really. Just getting getting those getting that go forward ball, and it all, of course, started to open up for them. Yeah. Okay. Well, look. I mean, I like I said, I kind of tuned in for the second half, and that's when the Sunwolves scored. I think three of their four tries. I was really impressed by the way they came back, actually. And I mean, the other thing was just watching the crowd. I mean, how invested is that crowd? Um, absolutely crazy. And actually, I saw a, a great uh, picture or a meme. I think it might have been from Rugby Memes or someone like that. And it had basically a picture of the, um, the, the Sunwolves home stadium in Japan, absolutely packed to the rafters. And then they had the uh, Southern Kings stadium, absolutely empty. Um, and, you know, sort of asking the question, you know, do we really need another South African team? Um, but, yeah, so the crowd the crowd was right into it. The Sunwolves got their kind of their tails up. And um, anyway, that yeah, they were pinging, so to speak, in that second half. Um, just played with a lot of passion and intent. I was really impressed by them, actually. I, my sense there is I just think, you know, give them a few more seasons and I, I think they could, you know, be becoming... Uh, competitive, especially in those South African conferences, if that's where they're going to try and keep them. I think that could come to bite the Saffirs. Um, right, so that's it. Forced victory in Japan, something or nothing. I'm kind of getting a bit of a, a middle on that one. We're saying that maybe that it might be a bit of a bump for them, uh, give them a bit of confidence if that doesn't dissipate in the, in, the, in the coming week. Anyway, look, there you go. East Coast Elitist Boys Club, first cab off the rank, talking about the force um, as per usual. Let's get on to the second question. Is this season of Super Rugby getting boring? Now, Hugh, you threw this one in. What, what's your evidence for this? What, what, what makes you say it? Oh, you know, every, every Super season tends to hit a lull, I think, around now when you've just kind of, you know, the, um, the teams have separated themselves more or less and half the, half the fans of, of Australian rugby are probably a bit disengaged because they support Queensland or the Force. And they're probably, you know, looking for other things. And we've got that uh, the test match window coming up, and we start to look to that. And and then you get into these inter these conference games where we start playing the South African teams, and 
that's that's just never a recipe for great rugby. And we saw it this week, I think, with the Waratahs Cheetahs, which was pretty dull. The Bulls Brumbies, which wasn't wasn't much either. Um, and you know the Reds got belted, so that wasn't much fun either. And, and so there wasn't a huge amount of great rugby out there, and um, it's a bit of a shame, to be honest. But uh, so we start to gaze longingly for the Wallabies, which is probably what uh, less than a month away now. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, but we, see, uh, yeah, it's definitely it, it. It just feels a bit flat, but um, hopefully, we, we can with the Brumbies Rebels this week, it can start to pick back up. Yeah, I must admit, just looking at if you just look at sort of sort of site traffic and stuff like that, and just the vibe, I think your point about maybe a few teams of a few supporters kind of the, the hopes have been dashed a bit. Um, probably ring true. Um, I think one of the things that did. Um, has coming through for me though you're talking about those interconference games is you kind of realize like you know what a crock a lot of this is around this competition about the bed that the South Africans have made for themselves where you've basically got these two conferences that are just dominated really by a couple of teams um, and the rest is just complete fodder so that they just make sure that there's a, you know a couple more South African teams in the finals it's yeah, that to me is just obviously a pure nonsense but anyway um, uh, Hugh I mean, sorry, Will. What do you think about this? Is it um, is it boring your tits off yet? Not quite, but I think, like, I guess, trying to speak on on behalf of, uh, I guess, the broader sort of Aussie fans. I, I think most of it's tied to results. There's uh, not really a lot to lot of uh, sort of thing reason to cheer for uh, Australian fans this year. I guess most people are pretty resigned to the fact that, uh, barring some. Uh, some teams in in New Zealand losing a few games. We're only going to get one team in the playoffs. Um, Brumbies fans aren't very confident um, with all the uh, dramas going on head office. Waratahs fans know that uh, we've we've sort of uh, put ourselves back in the equation, but um, really can't afford to slip up with a with a tough sort of run of games home. Rebels fans, after sort of being on top top of the Aussie Conference for one week, have. Uh, have a tough run in and some of them are worried they might not win another game. And then, um, then you've got, uh, the sort of reds and force fans are probably tuned out to a reasonable degree. So look, I think there's plenty of good rugby going on, mostly being played by the New Zealand teams, but, um, unless that's where your focus is, it's, uh, probably getting a bit hard to stay, uh, super interested in the competition. It, it does feel like, uh, we're just trying to work out who's going to win out of the Crusaders, Highlanders and, uh, Chiefs. Yeah, I mean, there's some razor sharp stuff going on in New Zealand, isn't there? Um, whether it's the, the the Chiefs and the Highlanders, the Highlanders are kind of going to new levels of um, I don't know professionalism in the way that they're managing to dispatch teams these days, and some some big some big teams as well. And then the Crusaders, I think they've now got like eight wins in a row, um, absolutely crazy, and they were really formidable against the Reds. I mean the the Reds really didn't have much chance there, Hugh, did they? No, they didn't. I mean, and, you know, losing Karevi was always a blow, and Jake McIntyre's just not making the strides he'd like. And, uh, you know, there's a, I think it was Paul Cully who tweeted, there's a really good team waiting to get out of that Reds outfit, and they're producing so much talent in Queensland at the moment. And there's some great youngsters coming through, but, um, yeah, they're, yeah, they just don't have quite have the pieces there, and, and the Waratahs game was, uh, I don't know, you know, the, the game was beyond doubt, I thought, from, from about half-time onwards. But um, neither team could really get any rhythm and get any flow going. And the Cheetahs 
look, the cheaters drag you down to their level generally. And so the Waratahs coming back, you know, from South Africa with a bit of injury and illness around, I think, you know, the, the result wasn't a bad one for them. But in, in terms of entertaining the crowd that was there, um, yeah, it's, it's, um, it, it was a bit of a tough one. And the Brumbies game, well, you know, Brumbies Bulls was, ne- you know, was never going to be much and it probably wasn't much in the end. And the Bulls were a bit unlucky with the refereeing and the Brumbies just executed, executed well, but the game fizzled out a bit in the last 20 as well. Yeah. I mean, just going back to that Tars match, I've got to say, I thought, um, I don't think I've ever seen, I th- well, sorry, I think this is the best I've seen Kurtley Bill play. Um, in, at, at a super level, I just don't think I've ever seen him as confident as and as complete and have as much impact on a game as he is. Um, it's it's part of a double act with Foley. Um, it's not like he's doing everything, but uh, I thought some of his kicking on his uh, tactical kicking um, on Saturday was um, absolutely superb. Um, let's talk just while we're on that game. Um, the, the end of it was uh, pretty controversial with the uh, try that I think we all thought the... Uh, and the, can I just go back a step? How the hell did Reese Robertson stuff that, that, that third try up? Can, can anyone <laughs> give me a valid reason why? I think he slipped. Right. Or it was a combination of him sort of wanting to smother the ball and then the ball bouncing a bit higher than he thought it would. And yeah. it sort of ended up... Yeah, fucking it up totally. Yeah, to, I, to be blunt, I just wondered if it was because both of his arms and legs are too short. Um, <laughs> it just—it looked like from and look, I was in kind of towards the opposite corner of the ground, but it—it it looked like it was going to be a try for all money. That we had basically two players running towards the ball, and there wasn't a, a cheaters player within Kui, and just looked like there was such an easy try on offer, and then somehow it didn't eventuate it. But it, it just seemed like that they, he sort of overran where he should have been, and perhaps got a bit of a bad bounce and then slipped. But he sort of probably overcommitted it when there was probably so much time just to wait, wait to see exactly where the ball sort of bounced in front of you and and just fall on it. Yeah, probably was the sort of try I could have scored, uh, <laughs> providing yeah. I hadn't run around for the previous seventy minutes. But. Yeah, I mean, you think? I mean, I, I guess maybe he just overread it when all he needed to do was wait for it to pop up into his arms. I mean, the way that. Kurtley was playing it was it was literally it was on a stick that ball um so anyway that was the third try but so or the potential third try and then the next one was literally after the donger um and Michael Hooper made a break flung a ball clearly backwards out of his hands um I saw (laughs) no well millions would disagree (laughs) but the you know and facts would probably disagree (laughs) <laughs> um, yes, yeah, threw his threw a ball seemingly backwards out of his hand towards the opposition's goal line for Dean Mum, who uh, was running the wrong. You know, he, he'd overrun his support line. Um, I thought uh, I've really not been impressed with Dean Mum. I've got to say this season, um, but um, he and so anyway. Before you know it, the ball was out the side. Looked like Izzy had scored the bonus point try, uh, but no. Um, I'm taking it we all agreed it was a forward pass. Uh, I have to yeah, say I'm a bit mixed on it. Um, I thought it could have gone either way. Once I started reviewing, I thought it was probably going to get overturned. But um, If that pass had been in New Zealand? It looked to me in real time <laughs> like it was forward. And mm. I remember thinking that the Tars, if, <laughs> if they had any sense, would have just taken a few hit-ups off the ruck just to sort of 
you know, if they'd scored, if they if they'd scored three or four phases later, it probably wouldn't have been reviewed. But um, as it was, they scored the very next phase, I think, and and that kind of it was still fresh in the mind, um, which was was a bit of a shame. But oh, look, the, the the camera angles weren't great of it. I would have liked to have seen one directly in line. It's yeah. it's hard to judge, but to me, it, it looked forward. So is that because uh, is there still that rule like there's only so many phases you can go back? Yeah, two phases. So okay, so that's so because that's the thing that now come out, which is that people are talking about how if Bernard Foley had just very quickly just gone for a you know a quick droppy before yeah, over. yeah before the before the ref had the time to you know call review um, then it was all done and dusted so actually on the Facebook live I was doing last night someone asked you know would would you see that as cheat is that cheating if somebody deliberately knocks a ball over you know gets a kick away quickly um, to nullify any kind of reviews is that cheating no <sighs> not at all it's not even in the. It's not even I, the key. I don't think it's cheating, there, but it? I mean, you've got to wonder if it was deciding the game. If it was to try to win the game, um, and they snapped a snapped, you know, ran five meters out off the line, snapped, shanked a drop kick into the crowd, and said that's the conversion. Game over. I don't know. It smacks to me as, as I'm not. I'm not quite sure. I'd be happy if I was the other fans and they'd scored off a clear forward pass or a knock-on at the ruck or something. Mm. Um, Sorry, it's got to be remembered, though, that it it can only happen after the referee has awarded a try, though. So in this situation, a try gets awarded, everyone thinks it's done, and then the cheaters player starts haranguing the referee, asking for him to review review the pass, Mm. um, and and was also standing where Foley was trying to to sort of line the kick up to stop him from sort of doing anything. Obviously, Foley could have ran past him and done a drop kick sort of thing. But um, I think the fact well, that a referee's awarded the try may, really means it's, it can't be cheating. It's it's really just a poor refereeing decision if that's the case. Yeah. Well, I think listening through on the sports is there. I don't think Foley had any idea the pass was even questionable. Yeah. You know, I think a lot of the Waratahs were behind the play um, and then they were just celebrating the try. They had really no idea that, it was a, that forward pass was there and it was being reviewed. Yeah, I mean, you've, you've got to say that in, I don't know, in, in most cases, uh, nine out of ten, or I don't know, even more, you know, in that sort of situation, if the ref is thinking, who's usually in one of the best positions, if they can't tell um, or an assistant referee hasn't called that it's a no try, that it's there's going to be very few people walking around saying that's, you know, that there's a problem. If you see what I mean, like uh, in the run of play, how many people re- you know really know, especially the decision makers around the captain or the the goal kicker. But I mean, it's interesting. I mean, obviously it does happen because you know the reports are that Christian Leliafano, um you know, knocked one over quickly to um, rub that doubt out. And then there was somebody else. Can you can you remember who the, the there's someone there's, there's a second um, occasion as well. So it's happened a couple of times. But I must admit. This is all making me chuckle a bit inwardly, thinking that there's now like a whole rule of run of plays that if you feel like something's dodgy, the first thing you start doing is trying to throw in a few more phases. Yeah. <laughs> Before the ref. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all of a sudden, you're running to the score run pose under the post and you just drop to the floor. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and that's always been the silly thing. And I guess uh, to bring up our, our rugby league friends listening, um, that something that I've always found ridiculous in rugby league that 
like there can be a clear clear sort of knock on or, or forward pass or something in a try, and if they score the try, it'll be no try because it'll get looked at. But if they get tackled a meter out and then score the next tackle, it's it's a try. It just yeah. to me that doesn't make a, a lot of sense. But um, I, I just think as soon as you're going to review that sort of pass, it's always going to be very hard to rule that it's not forward because obviously the player running at full pelt, trying to throw it backwards over their head as they're sort of falling to the ground, the ball's only going to momentarily start travelling backwards and the momentum's always going to carry it forward sort of quite a distance. So it's always going to look awful. But in the in the sort of, I guess, the, the laws of the game, the ball's allowed to travel forward. It's just how it how it's propelled out of the hands sort of thing. Yeah, um, and there's a lot of momentum going in the other direction. So. Well, to be fair, though, the union union TMOs are pretty good on that. I mean, you remember that forward, that pass from Drew Mitchell to Adam Ashley Cooper in the World Cup semi final, where you know it did travel forward, but mm. was backwards out of the hands, and and so you know it was a pretty would have been an easy TMO call to to say no to that. But they, I think, they're better than they have been in the past on that. Yeah. Okay. Well, look. I guess what this is saying is, for, you know, for boring Super Rugby, it's giving us plenty to talk about. <laughs> uh, anyway. Um, okay, so let's move on to the next question. Was the Quade Cooper's seventh experiment doomed from the start? Uh, Will, what's your take on this? I don't know if I'll say it was doomed quite from the start, but I think it was doomed very early. Um, not playing in the Sydney tournament because he sort of didn't have the preparation time. Sort of really, I think that made it very difficult because it's sort of potentially he could have got three tournaments in if he'd played that one um, and and would have had more time that they could have sort of maybe said, yeah, I think he's a chance. Let's let's do everything we can. As it went, he, he played two tournaments. He did all right, made a few mistakes. But um, look, when it comes, comes down to it and he still doesn't have an Australian passport, clearly there were, clearly he wasn't in that much of the frame if that was still an ongoing issue, because um, if, if, if he'd really been in there thinking, surely they would have made that happen uh, sooner. Yeah. I mean, look, I mean, we're, we're about to play an interview that um, I recorded with Andy Friend about a week or so ago, just after Singapore Sevens. And I think what they're going to, you know, what you're going to hear there is just, I mean, how much detail there is around the different positions that they've got and the sort of the game plan that the uh, Aussie Sevens team has got. And, it's when you when you hear that you kind of think, oh, geez, unless Quaid was going to be in that program from the beginning, you really couldn't see how he was just going to slot in with the odd star sort of appearance, you know, over time. And at the same time that we see Quaid falling out, Adi Surveyor has also dropped out of the New Zealand Sevens program, um, and there's a couple of big Safa names that I know have dropped out as well. So you, you do start to question whether anyone thought any of this was really happening, or whether that this was just sort of I don't know, uh, sort of more like a PR deal for some of these players. Um, Hugh, well, you, you, what was you know point? what it is, Matt. I mean, mm. the big one of the big lessons so far of this year is the sevens guys are bloody good. And, yeah. <laughs> you know, instead of these 15s guys waltzing in there and, and teaching them how to play, yeah. it turns out that it's they've, they've had a really tough time of it. Now some of them are starting to fall down. Yeah. And I think the Quade Cooper experiment was doomed from the start because really the only thing that would have seen him go to Rio is if he was sensational at it. You know, if he really just carved up and, and they could accommodate him not being in the camp because he was just that good. And he was pretty good. 
you know, he did admirably well for his first two tournaments, but ultimately, you know, it's like going to the World Cup without training with the team. You know, you, you've got to you've got to be around it and be a part of it. And they're so ensconced in that camp, those sevens guys, for, for you know, eight or nine months of the year living in each other's pockets. So they were never taking too kindly to, to someone coming in just for the tournaments and, and leaving when they were doing the hard yards. And, and, and sure enough, you know, they've, they've made the call early that, that he's not going to be there. And, and look, it's a bit of a shame for him and for the team that, that they couldn't work it out because he showed some potential, but, with Talon the way it is and not even releasing him for tournaments, let alone training, it was just never going to happen. Right. Well, look, let's cut now to uh, this conversation I had with Andy Friend. He's going to give us a reel from the ground up on sevens, and uh, I think that'll throw some real light on uh, probably some of the decisions that, that have been made here. Oh, right there, right there. Joining me now, I've got Andy Friend, coach of the Aussie Men's Sevens. Mate, how are you? Really well, thanks, mate. How are you? Yeah, well, mate. Um, you must be smashing the melatonin or sleeping tablets or something with this gig. It's uh, it's a lot of travel, right? A lot of travel. Uh, fortunately, the last couple of tournaments haven't been too bad in terms of jet lag. But, uh, yeah, I'm that tired at the end of the day. It's not really an issue sleeping, so it's okay at the moment. And actually, we were just talking off air. There's a common misconception, at least we've got it, which is that the, the Aussie men's team is called the Thunderbolts, but that's not the case. No, it's not the case. Uh, I believe the name is given to the to the tier underneath, so the, the second team I like, uh, if you like. Uh, but yeah, the Aussie men's sevens is literally just called that, the Aussie men's sevens team. So, uh, but we are, we quite often do get referred to as the Thunderbolts. Okay. Well, mate, look, what I thought we could do today is that, look, I, for a lot of us, we might have watched a lot of sevens, but I think there are plenty of us who probably haven't played a lot and definitely not at a sort of level that you're coaching. And then I think there are a lot of people who, you know, sevens might be quite new, especially with it kind of coming along and it's, it's definitely going to be a big bandwagon. Everyone's going to want to jump on come Rio. So what I thought we'd do is just maybe go through some of the basics or what seemed like... Um, seem like basics to you no doubt um, about sevens and I guess where I was going to start off with is asking you is what sort of different type of players or roles are there within a sevens team? Uh, yeah well there's there's, um, uh, there's a whole host to be honest with you I think that first and foremost anyone that wants to play sevens at the highest level so that's uh, what our Aussie sevens boys are doing at the moment um, you only need to have a really big motor mm-hmm. um, so aerobically you need to be very capable to uh, to do repeat efforts because that's very much the game and, and ideally most most need to be quick. Um, so speed, is, as you see when you watch the game, it's a real element. Um, probably the other important thing that everyone needs to have is uh, it's just a, a general level of skill because an error, whether it be an attack or defence, um, can really hurt you as a, as a team. So that's sort of the base that every player that, that's playing or competing at this level um, ideally needs to have. And then on top of that, we get very specialised positions. So we'll get um, our ball winners, which you have in the game of 15. So you'll get your your restart catches, which, again, are a really important part of uh, the game of sevens. Those boys that can not only uh, catch your ball, so our ball that we're kicking off, but also nullify opposition who are kicking and trying to win that ball back. Who would be some great examples of that in the Aussie men's? Who are your kind of primary guys in that role? Yeah, we've got uh, Sammy Myers. He's very good at that. Um, uh, Palmer Fowl traditionally has been very, very good at that. Uh, Jesse Parrott, who's just come back in, very good at the restart. And then we've got, uh, so they're all the single jumpers. Um, Stefan Vanderbilt is also another strong one, Sam Fig. Um, but then you get the other guys who work uh, as, a, as a pod. 
So you get, uh, for example, um, Connor Foley and, and Ed Jenkins work very well together as a pod, so they'll work, Connor will lift Ed and, and they get very good height and, and can look to win ball there. We used Henry Hutchinson uh, over in Vancouver. He was he was very good in the air too. So, um, yeah, but you, you might even get someone like Boyd Killingworth within Henry Hutchinson, which is actually a, you know, two of your smaller blokes, but you put them together, they make one big tall bloke. So the ability to have the or the aerial skills there to win restart is really important. Uh, so that's definitely a skill we're looking for, and we, you need a couple of blokes at least on the team that can uh, can handle that. Right, and then that's the kind of the single ball winners. Who's next? Well, then you've got your collective ball winners, so your line-out. Um, so that com- compromises of a throw, which is normally your halfback. So again, a halfback needs to now have line-out throwing skills, and then you need your forwards to be able to have line-out movement and then be able to, and deception, be able to get in the air and, and win clean ball for you. So, um, again, for, for the Aussie team, Con Foley runs a very good line-out for us. Um, Sammy Myers, again, is very competent in the air. We'll even throw Alan Farlevale in, into the line-outs uh, on occasions to be a lifter. Um, now, halfbacks, Alan, John Porch, James uh, um, Stannard, those sort of blokes are the boys that are throwing the ball in. So... Uh, again, another whole host of skills that come into the game within a specific position. So those guys can play those halfback roles like a Chucky Stannard, but then obviously he seems to be very much like a, a little general, sort of like a, a playmaker in there. Would that be right? Yeah, so he's also um, he's also one of the playmakers and one of the one of the boys that directs the team around the field. So the other collective ball winning group is obviously the scrum, and and like with any scrum, you need some bulk in that, and you need some timing and some and some real power to, to hit and win your ball or to, to look to disrupt other ball. Um, so they're our ball winners and they, then we move straight away on to then uh, your playmakers, of which is normally your 9 and your 10 uh, traditionally. So your Chucky Stannard, your Louis Hollands, your Tommy Lucas, those sort of boys who um, you know, who dictate traffic. Alan Falabar is another one too. And Although Alan's slightly unique in his, in his style, he's, uh, he tends to just play whatever he's thinking at the time rather than the structured play so then you know, he plays the other act around him but the other boys are very good at the structured stuff and and uh, you know running the system for us for example okay and then outside those guys is it just pure gas or does it divide down within that uh, yeah well you need you need skill in the center so you need catch and pass ability and, and deception in the center um, so your Tommy Kingston's your Frankie Winnerstein's who we've, we've just started to use, Stephen Vanderbilt again. Uh, those sort of players, Cameron Clark, um, skillful in the centre who can run good hard lines, but at the same time are normally very strong defenders. Uh, and then you go to the outside, which is your, your genuine finishes. So your, your Henry Hutchinson's, your, your John Porches, um, the Henry Stakes, those sort of boys that, you know, you give them the ball and hopefully you can you know, put, put your glass down and, and start getting ready for the next restart. And mate, is there any? I mean, you've obviously you've got a had a long, uh, successful career coaching fifteens um, as well, and then now as well as sevens. Are there any sort of little skill sets in sevens that you just absolutely don't see in fifteens? Like, for example, one of the things that strikes me is just the clearance of the ball from the scrum um, is under a pressure that you don't usually see in fifteens. Is is that something that's unique? Are there other things that you would say that are? Yeah, I think um, you know the 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 work you do at the breakdown is quite unique in sevens because uh, in fifteens you normally you get taught you get coached to go past the football and to and to take the initial threat out uh, well you, and that and in doing that 
um, you obviously, you know, clear away the, the first defensive threat and then your next support base is going to arrive and look to protect the ball. But in sevens, you don't have that. You don't have another player arriving or you can't, you, you'd be forced to use numbers there. So the skill in able to get in over the ball carrier and uh, protect, A, remove a threat, but don't remove him so far that you're now out of play remove him so that our ball is now available for our nine to come, yet stay in a strong position so you can hit and then lock and stay in that position I think is really unique and, and if I, you know, one day I may well go back and coach 15, but it would definitely be a skill I'd take back to 15 and try and make that whole process far more efficient. Yeah, because it seems, like you say, it's not the sort of thing where you can just plough through and kind of go off your feet. Um, you, right. you really need to have a, a good grapple there, don't you? Mm. Um, so, yeah. mate, uh, just now moving on to the different teams. So um, I, have, I haven't checked the table post Singapore, but I know we're, we're there and thereabouts in the in the top four teams um, at the moment. So looking at those different those those four teams, what are the sort of different approaches of those teams to the game? It, it seems to me, I mean, you know, Fiji are, you know seem to be like an icon in themselves. But how would you describe sort of the the, the top four teams and, and and how they approach the game? Yeah, well, they're all quite different, uh, to be honest. But, you know, Fiji, as you say, they've got a very unique brand and they're a, they're just a, a play through the middle of the park looking for defenders to to get overexcited and to jump out of line and then, then they'll play through that little hole either with the power and strength of the ball carrier or to get half through the hole and then this incredible skill to be able to throw an offload out the back of their hand over their head between their legs. It doesn't matter where it comes from. It normally finds a mark. Um, to a, a running support player who's instinctively read the fact that they're going into this hole, and and then once they break your line, you're gone because you've got you've got players who uh, you know sort of somehow magically link up and and they continue that movement on. So um, that the style that the Fijians plays is quite unique. I, I, you know, the Kenyans we saw a little bit of that from them, um, but not many other teams play with the sort of flair and the and the confidence that the Fijians play with. The other side of them, they're actually very physical uh, in their defence. They don't like going to ground themselves in attack, so if you can get them to ground, you can upset a lot of their momentum. Um, but uh, And if you allow them to stay on their feet, conversely, uh, they're going to gain confidence and they'll play straight through the middle of you. And, and what about uh, then uh, New Zealand, mate? How, how would you des- describe them? The Kiwis, uh, as they are as a, as a 15s nation, they're, they're uh, physically very dominant. Um, they try and bash you off the ball and bully you off the ball, and then they've got you know, big power runners that they shift the ball wide to those wide channels, and the big power runners uh, sort of take you down the channel. And you normally, you know, quite often, have to use two, maybe three players um, to sort of shut that down, and they'll swing it back the other side, and they'll beat you on the other side for width. So, um, quite different to the Fijians. The Fijians try and take you up the middle. The Kiwis look to try and take you around the edge, uh, but both play a very physical game. And then the the Saffirs seem to me that they they take, bring a little bit of um, South Africanness with them. I actually saw them to playing territory um, a, a couple of tournaments ago. Would, would that be right? Do they play a, a bit more of a structured game? Yeah, well, they're they're probably the the team that is most fifteens like out of uh, out of every other team on the circuit. Where you know they stick to set sequences and set options. Um, and as you say, that they're, they're, they're the highest kicking team on the on the circuit too. So they'll kick the territory and they'll they'll uh, look to turn opposition teams and put them under pressure with with um, ball in behind. So 
Um, but they're, but their set piece plays everything. So they'll go to a line out. Like their restart, for example, they only ever kick one restart. Everyone knows what it is. Kicking to their, their right hand side to the, to the pod nearest the sideline. You know, you've got to catch that. You know, you're going to get whacked by two South Africans. And you know, if you pass the ball out to the middle of the channel, that they're going to come up and shut, try and shut you down. Um, very dominant there. The teams keep trying to play out of that and they keep whacking and they keep getting turnover ball and they keep scoring tries. So, um, you know, they've got a system and they believe in that. They just stick purely to that. It's a little bit, but, you know, it's very much sequence plays. Then it comes to, to, to the Aussie brand. What are you guys looking to create there in, in terms of uh, our flair or ethos? Well, we're, uh, we're, probably a, we're probably a mixture of all of those things. We don't have the size or physicality of the Kiwis or the, or the Fijians, um, and, we, and we, we're certainly not as rigid as the, as the South Africans. I believe we've got two words that, that we use to describe the way we play. One is we're unrelenting, and two is we're clinical. So um, I sort of, you know, if we look at an Australian animal, I reckon we're a little bit like a little Aussie terrier. We just, we just keep yapping away, and we just keep nibbling at you and, and barking at you. And we've got the footy we're trying to go through, and we're trying to be really clinical in the way we do things, and, and through weight of possession, and then our sheer drive and desire and hunger for, for, uh, for work. Um, we'll just overpower you and, and, and run over the top of you. So that's that's the image we've got of ourselves. Um, yes, we do play some structured plays. Yes, we do. Uh, we can go up the sideline. We can come up through the middle. So we sort of use all those. We can keep the ball in behind. Um, so we'd, we'd be a harder team, I reckon, to try and pin down as to what it is we do um, because we've got quite a unique setup here where, uh, you know, the players that we get um, uh, are hard workers and, and uh, yeah, I think just our whole culture is we just go out and play what's in front of us there, but we want to do it in a clinical way and we want to do it where, where we're working hard in the opposition. Yeah, great, fantastic. And what are the sort of the areas then, you know, between now and, and, and Rio, um, what are sort of the areas that you guys are kind of focusing on where you know you need to kind of, you need to pick it up? Yeah, there's a few areas. We just had a big review meeting this morning, so... Uh, you know, one of the main areas in our in our attack was our ability. Um, we we create opportunities at the moment, but our ability to then get the ball to those spaces, um, we've been poor, and it, a lot of it just comes down to the lack of communication uh, when we're out there. Because under fatigue, uh, you tend to be quiet. So um, we've worked really hard, uh, you know, to create these these opportunities, but we're not we're not being able to finish them off. So big big focus for us is being more accurate in our talk. Um, and be more accurate in our skills, therefore the clinical, you know, able to finish these opportunities off. The other big one for us is um, just focusing on the small details. So the small things, in my opinion, and the team's opinion, really do matter. How you land with the football as an attacker has a massive bearing on how effective that ball recycle is going to be and how effective your support player is going to be to get over the top of you. Right. How you support has a massive effect on that. So we, we spend a lot of time just on the small detail around those little bits uh, of, of every, all parts of the game, our tackle, our breakdown, our pass, our, our scrum, our line, our restart, and just trying to perfect that and be really critical at that. Right. And, and so what's now between now and Rio? What's, what does the kind of program look like? Uh, well, we've got two more weeks before we head off to Paris. Um, so in that week, uh, in those two weeks, we've got a, what we call our overreaching week, which will be our third overreaching week. Starts on Monday on Anzac Day. So whilst people are playing two up, we'll be out here uh, busting the boys or trying to bust the boys. 
Um, so that's next week. Uh, we then have a, a week taper as we head into Paris. We then go to Paris and London, mm-hmm. our last two World Series tournaments. Uh, then we're going to give the boys about 10 days off. And then we come back and we have a, a two-week build-up, um, uh, or three-week build-up, sorry, before we, we head to Doha in Qatar for uh, a heat camp, another overreaching week that we're, we're going to do that in Qatar, which is going to be a fair bit hotter than here. And again, uh, we really test the boys and, and make life very difficult for them. But um, physiologically, it's, it's great for the body to be able to, uh, to really stretch it. Um, mm-hmm. And but that's the whole intention of that. Well, so we come back from Qatar and we've got uh, three more weeks before we then take off to Rio. And in that period, we're going to play a, a three-game series or a three-day series against Japan. They're going to come out here to the Australian playoffs. Well, be good. I was, I was going to ask if uh, overreaching actually meant retching over a bucket. Is that is that, uh, is, that, that. Yeah. is that where that phrase comes from? <laughs> if we can get them to that, then we've then it's worked. We've, we've had a few of those. Not too many. <laughs> well, I can imagine because I mean, just the style of play and the, that what you guys were talking about the, that unrelenting uh, quality that you're looking for means you know if you're going to out compete with some with the top teams to do that, I mean, you really need to take it to another level, don't you? That's right. Yeah, and that's you know so physically um, or from a an aerobic uh, capacity point of view, we believe we can be the fittest team over there in Rio. Um, the other area you know, we, we need to really pick up is, is just in our level of physicality. So making sure that um, when we make contact, whether that's at a breakdown, whether that's as a tackle, whether that's as a ball carrier, that we are really powerful through that, that contact zone and... Uh, we can start to inflict some more damage on opposition. Yeah. Now, mate, just uh, to finish off, just talking about... I mean, we talked about the top four teams, but, I mean, what strikes you about sevens is that, you know, anyone seems to be able to uh, give you a, a run for a money or give anyone a run, their run for their money on their given day. I mean, we've just seen Kenya come through, um, not that they were by any means but a poor team, but, uh, you know, come come through and, you know, really give the Fijians a dusting in the final. Um what is it about sevens? Is it, is, the, is it the amount of time you've got? Is it uh, that it's just so exposed that, that makes it like that? Yeah, there's a few things with it. I mean, the, you know, the Kenyans are outstanding uh, in Singapore. Mm. Um, but just the way the draw fell, uh, so we had this bizarre situation on day one of Singapore where um, three of the top four teams who competed in, or a lot of top four teams in Hong Kong as well, so... Fiji, New Zealand and ourselves uh, all lost our first game. Um, and I think that's going to show you how, how demanding and how testing Hong Kong is. So that then put those four teams, plus South Africa happened to be a winner, unfortunately for them, uh, all on one side of the draw. So you had top four teams now competing against each other in quarterfinals, and then you compete against each other in semifinals. Um, Kenya on the other side there had France, Argentina uh, and who else they had there now, um, uh, competing for um, uh, their quarterfinals and semis going through that way. So, this, it, it, and, But in saying that, there's, there's not an easy game. Stars have to align for everybody. And um, in Singapore, in that final, no team would have beaten Kenya the way they played. No yeah. team. They were just outstanding. And they got their confidence up and everything you know, clicked for them and, and off they went. So uh, as you say correctly, that you know, the... Any team on their day can do damage to any other team. What we're looking for, um, and in order to, to win a gold medal in Rio, you just need to be 
you know, A, you need to be ready physically, mentally, and then you just got to make sure it all happens on the day for you. Great. Well, look, mate, we're all going to be uh, behind you on at Green and Gold Rugby. We're kind of building up our content efforts, and I'm sure uh, not just us, but the whole country is going to be cheering you guys on. So um, in the meantime, um, good luck with everything, mate. Thanks, mate. Really appreciate that. Great. So that was Andy Friend there giving us a, the lowdown uh, on what uh, is happening in Sevens. Will, I think you've just got a little bit of detail there. They're in Paris now, I believe. Is that right? There's a, for the tournament, I think Andy talked about. Um, they've announced a team. You've got the names there? Yep, that's correct. So... Um... I think we're, we're sort of some of our key players are coming back in this tournament. Henry Hutchison's playing his first tournament in a few after having a foot injury. Um, uh, Cameron Clark's back. Jesse Parahy, who had left the team and gone to rugby league briefly, has re-signed with the Aussie Sevens and is back in this this team. Right. Um, that's an exciting one uh, for our chances for Rio. I think if he assuming he's in, in sort of reasonably good fitness and stuff. He he was absolutely in our top squad last year and I think will be again. Uh, Ed Jenkins is back in. Pat McCutcheon and Nick Cummins are also uh, joining the squad who haven't uh, played in, in the last tournament. Um, so I've got a pretty good squad for Paris. Um, and then we play uh, early Sunday morning, I believe. Um, our first game's at about 5.30 Eastern Standard Time against Brazil. Then... Um, then uh, 9 o'clock, then uh, about midday, um, so England and South Africa. So we do have a tough pool, but hopefully we beat England and Brazil and certainly go through to the quarterfinals. Uh, South Africa is always tough. Mm. And well, I guess the other, sorry, the other big news is uh, Aussie Sevens have announced that Palmer Foe is uh, going to play the uh, London tournament, which is the uh, last leg of the series, and he's a huge inclusion uh, in the lead-up to the Olympics because he is definitely in our top 12. Oh, wow, great. That's awesome. All right, guys, so that's something to look out for this weekend, especially armed with this uh, new insight you just got from Andy Friend. So um, have a look at that. So let's move on. Fourth question. Which departed player have we missed the most this year so far? Hugh. Well, I'm, I'm going to lead off with the bloke we were just talking about, actually, um, Quade Cooper. I, I, I think looking at Super Rugby mm. and looking at you know the, the gaps that have been filled and the ones that haven't been filled, by by um, departing players, I think the the biggest hole is is the five eight for the Reds, and they just they just haven't been able to find a replacement for him. And look, Jake McIntyre, he, he's doing a pretty admirable job for someone with not much experience. He's still very young, and he could become a good player. Mm-hmm. But at the moment, he's really struggling to 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 unleash those guys outside of him. And, and I think having Quaid back there. Um, I think would just really give that uh, the kick up the ass the Reds backline needs, and, and I think they really miss him. Just mm. his game management, and 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 as well just the profile that he brings to that team, and, and what he could do for them. So um yeah, that's my answer, old Quaidy. Well, I can tell you who else misses Quaid, um, and that's my fucking web traffic. Um, <laughs> <laughs> So, um, yeah, it's died without him there. And uh, I'm also don't know, you know, all those kind of Foley trolls have kind of disappeared since Quaid's been off the se- been off the scene. But anyway, um, come on then, Will, who's yours? I'm going to go with Adam Ashley Cooper. Um, I just think he's just such a Mr. Reliable, still producing near his best form every time he takes the field. Um, and I think 
there have been quite a few games this season where the Waratahs have, have missed him being able to play 13, 14, 15, just slotting in where, wherever someone's needed um, and just getting the job done. And uh, I, I think he's uh, looking at sort of the top 14 results. He's really, uh, he's really sort of uh, showing great form over there, scoring quite a lot of tries and, and really helping out the, uh, the success of uh, Bordeaux this season. So he's having a good year and uh, still producing vintage form at, uh, uh, with all the uh, years of rugby he's got behind him. Yeah, now you've got to say, I mean, uh, he's one of those, especially just talking not at the Wallaby level, but just talking at super level. I mean, geez, there's a lot of caps and experience that went out of that Waratahs back line when he went. Um, you know, between him and Horn, both with the Waratahs, but then with the Wallabies, just kind of adds so much solidity to any back line that you can then put the kind of the Raz and Mataz around. Um, yeah, he's definitely going to be missed. So sorry, sorry. I thought just the Waratahs Ladies' Day on Saturday night just just didn't quite have the same sort of uh, excitement without him in the side. So <laughs> it's definitely lacking that from uh, Australian rugby. <laughs> okay, with that, that sartorial flair. Yep. Um, okay, so look, mine is going to be um, Sakopi Kapu. Um, I think the uh, the Tars of uh, the scrum, it's got better, I must admit. And look, it's one of those things that's happened is that, you know, him being gone is probably the unearthed. For example, Tom Robertson um, has got sort of an airing that he probably would have never have got um, if Sakopi had been there. Um, so that's, I guess, definitely a silver lining. But um, I just think, you know, his work rate around the field, he was always good for, a, you know, um, sort of... A, a, a good rumble uh, of a run and then you know what he was doing in the scrum I think those that early part of the season which really damaged the Tars he was gone and I'm still a bit worried about what's coming Wallaby time if he doesn't come back um, so he is yeah he's my uh, he's my selection for those listening let us know what yours is or maybe give us a vote out of those top three um, who's your most uh, missed uh, player of this, of, the, of this season so far. Speaking of players, speaking of selection, our final question tonight is about the Wallaby number eight. It's an interesting discussion, this one, um, about who it should be because actually the incumbent, and somebody pointed out today, um, I, I did a, put an article out on Monday just talking about who the different sort of contenders are and looking at their stats. And obviously the person that didn't, you know, feature there at all was the incumbent, which who is, you know, um, David Pocock, because he hasn't been playing ace. So it's a bit of a weird situation. Um, you guys, you had a chance to have a look at those stats. What was your take from it, uh, Hugh? It's fascinating, isn't it? I mean, we all knew Hollow was having a good season, but, but those stats were pretty remarkable. I think he plays a bit of a different game to what the other number eights do. He's clearly... You know, the comparisons have been drawn to Scott Higginbotham, and, and I think they're pretty apt because he, he, he plays a little bit wider, just punching those those wider channels, and, and sure enough, he has this knack of getting breaking the line and getting into space and, and scoring and scoring tries as well. I think he doesn't have quite the flair that Higgins had uh, for your chips and chips and chases and so on, mm. but um, there's certainly certainly some, some similarities, and... and um, I, I, the rucks he's hit have been certainly lower than the others. So I suppose it just depends what you want um, in, in a player, but certainly looking for those ball-carrying forwards. And and Australia doesn't have too many of those at the moment, uh, good sort of bu- busting forwards. And and look, I, I can't see him 
getting a cap maybe against England, potentially off the bench in one of the games, but uh, certainly one one for the future. He's, he's having a great year. Will, what, what was your take on all those numbers? Yeah, he's been outstanding, and um, I think just the the level of run meters he's he's picking up is is huge, and um, and I guess very important. Like it, uh, it it is a game where where the uh, when you boil it down, most of the time the team that, that's getting a, if a team gets a lot more meters, they they probably go a long way to winning the game. And he's playing that wider role, making a lot of breaks, and and I think he shows an impressive amount of pace. He sort of. Uh, can get a little sort of break up the uh, side of the field and and, and makes sort of 40, thirty or forty meters because he doesn't get overhauled. He sort of gets to the last line of defence or and he's got a good offload on him. So I think he's obviously got a bit of a setback uh, having dislocated his shoulder at, at training, but hopefully only misses a two more weeks and will still make the uh, squad for the June series. But uh, look, maybe we'll see him towards the end of the, that series uh, off the bench. But yeah, I, I think. We're going to see Pocock, Hooper and Fardy in the back row and uh, as we probably should after them being such a good combination at the World Cup. Yeah, and I guess the question is, who's it going to be you know, on the bench to uh, be able to slot in? Um, and so far, for example, you know, we saw Cliffy Palu even see some time over in the World Cup and I think most people would say, you know, even his most ardent supporters would have to say he's kind of past that sort of role now um, and it's time to look for somebody else. And so, you know, Dean Mum was somebody who floated around in the, in the checker orbit. Um, you know, if it's not going to be him, Ben McCowman, who, you know, as usual, had some really great work rate stats um, and he plays the full 80 Um you know, for the force, whereas Holloway tends to play 50. Um, look, I'm, I, I want to say I'm conflicted in that, you know, I was one of probably the biggest critics of the idea of having Scotty Higgers playing eight for the Wallabies um, because of how much wide work he did. And yet I find myself saying um, this Holloway guy's worth a run. It'd be interesting with him maybe in a slightly different game plan where he's not always wide. It'd be interesting to see what he can do in traffic. Um, he's definitely um, built pretty solidly. But you just look at... We, we've got an infographic that I've put on the uh, Facebook page that you can find that compares Holloway and Falau. And Holloway actually comes up favourably per 80 minutes in a lot of areas. I mean, they both score about the same number of tries per 80, which is 0.7. Um, uh, Holloway's making 68 metres per, per 80 minutes. Uh, Falau's making 76. Um, Holloway's making 9 metres a carry. Falau, 6. And this is Holloway as a forward. Falau, obviously, as a fullback. Um, and then you've got, you know, finally Holloway making 2.1 clean line breaks per 80 minutes. And Israel Falau, who would probably be in world rugby, one of the biggest line breakers, making 1.4. So, and is probably recognised as one of the most valuable players in Australia. So when you've got a guy, Holloway, I mean, he might not have the backs number on his back, but he's, you know, when he's got, when he's punching better stats than Israel Falau, it's definitely someone you've got to, you know. Um, so so are you, are you picking him? For, are you picking him at eight for the first test? No. So I, I go with you guys, which is, you know, you've got the incumbents. Um, you've got the Fadi Pooper. Um, I would love to see... I mean, I think at some stage we've got to see... Uh, give him some international game time. Um, I would think maybe the last, you know, 20, 30 minutes of a test. Um, I was thinking there, because he's a, he's a line-out option as well. And so for me, maybe you'd move the Pooper to six and seven. Um, so you've got the you've still got the work rate. Um, Fardy gets a rest for, for the final thirty minutes, and then you've got um, 
you know, you've got Holloway punching holes. That's, I, I think it'd be interesting. Yeah, I, I agree, but I've I got to say, I have a feeling Checker will side with the experience and pick Benny McCalman um, on the bench, uh, and potentially Sean McMahon as well. But, um, yeah, God, our back row stocks are pretty good, aren't they? Because um, I, I just have a feeling across the board, Checker's going to side with the experienced guys who have been around, as opposed to you, you sort of you, you uh, debutants and young guns. But um, mm. I hope he does get a run at some point. Mm. Well, if if he can, he should at least be starting to get squad time, right? Um, start to get to know his way around the place and you know and how it works. So I'd, I'd like to at least see that. But these numbers are are, are pretty hard to ignore. Uh, I'd suggest. Um, look, so that was the final burning question. The only other thing that I had um, was to say. Well, I wanted to touch on first of all. Um, we've got a, a few more reviews that I wanted to just um, go through quickly. Um, probably three more since last time we came on. First one was How Good from The Winced. Great stuff from these guys. Wait for it every week. Um, if you want your rugby news and dribble, I think he's obviously a long-time listener. Um, then this <laughs> is the podcast. Appreciate the analysis. Love the banter. More Tars, less Reds. Um, you've got the right... <laughs> You've got the right <laughs> you panel on come, tonight. Come on the right night for that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, quality rugby news from uh, Damien Geddon. <laughs> um, great stuff, guys. Interesting interviews with relevant rugby sources and good banter. Best way to make public transport bearable. There you go. We're, we're a public service. And then f- the final one here, which is, I thought, entitled really uh uh, with a with a good line here coming in my ears, um, a great easy listening. Uh, whoops, sorry, a great easy to listen to conversation about current news and current events that the average rugby follower wants to hear about promoting the game from grassroots to international level. Sure, a little bit East Coast bias, lol, but all in all, a great listen. Keep up the good work. So, guys, uh, thanks for those reviews. As usual, uh, you know, a shout out if you if you could put one in, that'd be great. Brian Moore, um, I think you two guys remember I had a bit, a little bit of a run-in with around World Cup time. Absolutely. Well, in his podcast on the weekend, he had a, a little bit to say. Next, it's the Bluffers Guide to Rugby, and this question from Ray Stubbs should be interesting because it's about the press, Gavin. Ray Stubbs here, and Brian, I hope you're aware that you can hear me on the Press Pass every Sunday before your show at 6 o'clock. Now, we all know that the media sometimes like to get under an opponent's skin when a touring side comes over. So which country was the worst for doing that when you played, and did it affect you? Ray, the answer to your question is simple. Australian. (laughs) No doubt about it. Shackle Draggers, they are, you know... They used to be called fans with typewriters, actually. And they've got better because of the multiplicity of channels and uh, media outlets. Nevertheless, during, I mean, during the last World Cup, I knew this was coming before the England game, there was a planted uh, critique by former Wallaby coach Bob Dwyer about uh, Joe Marler. You know, it was purposeful, it was done there. I was talking to a an alleged, um, well, self-proclaimed under-9s scrummaging guru, and that's probably what he was, um, about that. And I said, you know, there's pointless me talking to you about this because you won't accept at any point there's a possibility even that the Australian scrum might at any point be illegal. Whereas I will accept that, you know, all all front rows are illegal, including the England one and others. Uh, and that's the difference. So there you go. I think we might have uh, got under his uh, skin somewhat. <laughs> that's fantastic. 
<laughs> of course. Oh, yeah. See, that's rewriting history, though, isn't it? He's some sort of part impartial. Yeah, he acknowledges everyone's illegal. Where we're just so one-eyed. Jeez, <laughs> give me a break. Well, as I remember it, it was actually just a big argument where he was trying to tell me that loose heads don't bore in, only tight heads. So anyway, that, that that's where that got to. But yeah, good to know that we're etched on the mind of of Brian, which is great. Righto. Well, I think that's the end of the podcast tonight. So, um... Can I give a quick um, a, few, a few things happening in the rugby world? But one of them is um, the under-20s, uh, yeah. who had a really good win against New Zealand. Oh, First right. time we've ever beaten them at under-20s level, I believe. How do we miss um, that? And it was, it was a great game. We, we got out to a 22-3 lead, but the Kiwis, in true Kiwi fashion, um, drew us back to, to being two points down, actually. They're up 24-22, and the game looked lost, but we... We managed to fight our way into their 22 and draw a penalty. And um, and Mac Mason, a uh, uh, young 5'8 from Queensland, stepped up and uh, put it between the posts. Um, reminiscent of James O'Connor in Hong Kong in 2010, actually, t- to, to get them the win. And um, now they're off to the World Cup and they just named their squad uh, this evening. So a lot of good players coming through there. And a lot of Queenslanders, actually, 15 out of the 20 Um uh, or fifth, or it's some insane stat. I think it's fifteen of the of the twenty five that are going uh, from Queensland. So wow. more talent coming out of uh, the state up north. Good one, mate. And you said you had uh, some announcements. So is this you got another one? Maybe from one of your own personal sponsors, or I'm still looking for personal sponsors. That 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 is um, what the announcement was going to be. Just yeah, feel free to uh, drop me a line, email me. I'm happy to happy to do products, uh, product placement, that sort of thing. But um, look, hi. Keep with my my brand ethos, which is very high end, very you know luxury sort luxury. of consumer, yeah. That sort of stuff. Yeah. I can imagine. All right, guys. Well, look, thanks for coming on tonight. Good to have you here. Thank you. Um, thanks for all the listeners for downloading or streaming or whatever you've done and letting us come in your ears. And uh, we'll see you next week. Seven left. Seven left.